morning. Thanks for being here this morning and worshiping with us. I'm Matthew Lee, pastor here at Grace. It's a joy to have you this morning. Uh, we are uh, at the end of our seven-week series on God's value and Grace Church. Uh, the first week we looked at identity, then we looked at the gospel, uh, God's uh, value of the gospel in our lives, and we looked at the value of empowered worship, the value of being word-driven, the, wor- the, <clears throat> the value of being community-committed, Last week we heard about the mission of God and the Lamb of God by Sassen. And this week we conclude our series taking a look about what it looks like to be motivated by generosity. So before we get into the message this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for gathering people here be encouraged, to maybe be challenged, to maybe be reminded that as believers we're empowered by your spirit to live the life you've called us to live. God, I know in a room this size there are many people who come with frustrations, disappointments, and discouragements, questions, hurts, things about life that they didn't intend or plan. And so, God, I pray that as people come this morning from all walks of life, that they would be reminded that you know every hair of their head and you know every beat of their heart. That they're not forgotten. That you know their needs. And I pray this morning, in whatever way you choose, that you meet that need. That you encourage your people this morning. So God, I pray this morning that as we gather here that you find our hearts, our minds, our entire lives in a posture to be receiving from you this morning. We pray for your wisdom and for your guidance. We pray for your word to come alive in our hearts and minds to give us direction, to give us understanding, to give us perspective. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you? that they would hear from the Lord this morning and respond to him. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out by asking a question. And the question is this, what motivates you? What motivates you? The question, the kind of the backdrop of the message this morning is, are we motivated by the generosity of God? Are we motivated by the generosity of God? Now, we all enjoy being on the receiving end of generosity, right? None of us like to be on the receiving end of someone who's greedy or stingy. When it comes to generosity of God, there's no greater joy than to receive the generosity of God so that we can experience God and his generosity. The church has received generously, generously, God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and love. And as a church, we're called to model and be motivated by the generosity that God has shown us. Now, if you were to look up the word generosity in a lot of different ways of, of dictionaries or definitions, you'd run across a definition that I came across 
this week that says generosity is the readiness or openness in giving. The readiness or openness in giving. We can also agree that to be generous means that there's a, a tone, there's an underlying theme in generosity that you don't just give the minimum, you give exceedingly above. That's what generosity has a, a tone about. Now, to get us in the mindset around this idea of generosity and being generosity motivated, let, let me ask you to think about this. If someone were to come to you and they were to ask you, to teach them about generosity and giving to God, what would you tell them? What scripture would you take them to? What story in the Bible would come to mind? What principles have you lived by that you could share? And without bragging or about thinking more highly of yourself, think about stories in your own life where you have been generous that you could share. How would you describe your feelings of being blessed and then being a blessing? What I'm asking is for each of us to think about and reflect on our own generosity that we have received from God and the generosity that we are giving to others. How do we live out generosity? If we love being generous, how does it show? And maybe ask ourselves, is it showing at all? Thankfully, the Bible has a lot to teach us on what it means to be generous, and by the Spirit's help, we pray that as we open His Word, that He'll teach us in this area. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read verses 7 through 10, and then also verses 17 through 19. Paul writes this to Timothy, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we, can take, we cannot take anything out of it either. If we, have fond, uh, <clears throat> if we have food and covering with these, we shall, be con uh, <clears throat> we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a, uh, a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the, the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed." few things I want to focus on in this passage is that it's been said that we've been given three basic resources, and it's from these resources that we give or are generous. And the resources generally can fall in these three categories, which is time, our talents, and our treasures. Now, time is a commodity that um, it seems rare, but one we all have the same amount of time. How many of you have ever heard or said the phrase, I just got to find time to do this? Well, let me, just, let me just end your search because you're not going to find any more time. We all have been given the exact amount of time. There's no more time to be found. Instead, our mindset needs to be, I need to make time. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, make the most of your time to be wise. We've been given time. 
The other thing we've been given is talents. Everybody in this room has been given a talent or two or three to be used to be generous. We've also been given treasures. Many times in Scripture, treasures are talking about money or possessions, but it also talks about our hopes, our dreams. What we value is our treasure. And so I want to start with some fundamental things in regards to our time, talents, and treasures. And the first thing is this. All we have, everything, it all belongs to God. Now listen to verse 7 and let this sink in. For we brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Now some of, some of us get a little rubbed by that. We didn't bring anything into this world, so we can't take anything out of it either. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Look, at the, look to the highest of the heavens and the earth, and everything in it belongs to the Lord your God. Psalm 89, 11, The heavens are yours, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. Psalm 50, 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. Psalm 31, 15. My times are in your hands. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. The Bible says, And what... Do you have that you did not receive? The point is it all belongs to God. It's all God's. Everything has always belonged to him, and they always will. Think about it. Anything that we have been given had to belong to him first in the, in the first place, or he couldn't give it. It all belongs to him. And we've been given so much, so much. But the supreme thing that we have been given is his son Jesus. We have been given the supreme, generous gift of his son Jesus. We've been given the gospel, the story of Jesus, the, the story of forgiveness and redemption of Christ's work on the cross, the promise of eternal life made possible through Jesus. And once we were far from God, Scripture says, that we have been brought near to Jesus Romans 8.32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God, in his generosity, gave us Jesus, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If he gave us Jesus, is there anything else he would hold back? And all of it is not because we deserved it. It's all a gift of his grace. A few aspects I want to look at God's, God's generosity is the first is God gives to the ungrateful and the wicked. Listen to Luke 6.35. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you'll truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. This blows my mind. That God gives his very best to even his enemies. Now let me just, let me just put this in context. When people are ungrateful to you, what is your usual response? Many times, I want to withhold my resources. I, I want to I withhold my benevolence. I, I want to 
The, the thought of being generous to someone who's ungrateful just sometimes doesn't fit in my brain. Is it yours? But while we were ungrateful, while we were unkind, while our backs were turned to God, God gives us his very best in Jesus. God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And, and here's the other thing. He continues to be. Even when he knows that I may take his possessions and take his gifts and, and take his benevolence and turn my back and not say thank you, he doesn't withhold. God gives his best even to the unthankful and the wicked. Another thing about God's generosity is that it restores relationships. Romans 2, 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see the, that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? In Romans, Paul tells us that it was the kindness of God that led to repentance. It was God's generous act towards us that turns us to have a relationship with him. One more thing about God's generosity is that God always gives us what is good. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden just for a second. God creates everything they can see, everything we can see now, all of creation. And he looks over creation and he goes, you know what? I could have done better. He never says that. In fact, he says, this is good. And then he says in Genesis 131, it is exceedingly good. And why did he give us? Why did he generously give us unthankful and unkind? Good gifts. Verse 17 of chapter 6, 1 Timothy, who richly supplies us with all things. Why? To enjoy. God's generosity is for his pleasure with us. For his pleasure with us. Notice what he doesn't say in verse 17. God gives us all things so that we can be miserable. He gives us all things to enjoy with him. Freely to give it to us to enjoy. Now, God wants us to enjoy his gifts on his terms because he knows best in how the resources he gives are to be used. Now, I've told this story a million times probably, and I just am going to tell it one million more. Th this message this morning is really a message of reminders. And so if you've heard this story, just act like you've never heard it and you're hearing it for the first time, okay? Thanks. There's a story about a dad and his son, and the dad turns to his son, and he wants to do something very special for his son, and he asks his son, is there anything you'd like to do right now? And the son says, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to go to McDonald's and get some French fries. And so the father says, whatever my boy wants, my boy's going to get. They get into the car, they head to McDonald's. The son's lips and tongue, they're just waiting for those crispy, salty golden fries. How many of you just love McDonald's french fries? Just a side note. 
They get to McDonald's and the dad makes the order and the son's heart is pounding when his dad makes it a supersized fry. The dad took the money out of his wallet to pay for the fries and the drink and the son's little teeth are just so ready to sink in. They sit down, they have a, a quick prayer. God, thank you for this food. Even that seemed like a long time for the little boy. And the dad was so excited and happy to see his little boy enjoying something so simple that he provided. And so the dad decided to join in on the fun. He reaches over to get a couple of the son's fries himself. And to his surprise, his son quickly puts his arms around his fries as though he was building this little fort. And he says, no, no, these are mine. And his dad, almost in a state of shock for the moment, he couldn't believe what happened. The dad pulled back his hand and he began to think about his son's perspective. He began to think about all the things that just took place. He first thought, my son is failing to realize that this was my idea. I am the source of those fries. It was my idea to do something nice and special for him, something that he could enjoy. And at the counter, I, I was the one who reached into my pocket, into my wallet, and pulled out my money to pay for his fries. And I didn't give him the fries he was wanting. I gave him a supersized fry. And here he is talking about his fries. And this dad thinks, not only was I the source of these french fries, he's forgotten that I have the power to pull apart his little twig arms that he thinks can. <laughs> and I can take all the fries I want from him. Or if I wanted to go back to the counter, I could buy hundreds of supersized fries. And he also doesn't understand, I don't need his fries. And as the dad thought about it, he knew that the one or two fries really wouldn't have made much of a difference for him that day. What he wanted was for his son to invite him into the wonderful world that he had created and made possible for his son. Now, this story contains the essence of recognizing that all we have, all we have been given is God. He is the source. And for us to not only recognize it, that, but to move into a relationship and invite God into it with us. That was why he gave it to us to begin with, for us to enjoy with him. When God reaches over sometimes, though, to participate in my life and enjoy the things that he's given with me, sometimes I can find myself putting arms around, no, no, God, these are mine. Go get your own or go get them from somebody else even. We try building our own little forts around our resources, around our time, around our talents, and around our treasures when in ultimate reality, it's all God's. 
God is the resource of our resources. He blesses us with these resources with the intention to increase the depth of his relationship with us. That's why we have what we have. That's why it's been given. To invite him in and to enjoy him and his blessings. So it leads us to a second point in loving generosity, and that's embracing an attitude of gratitude. Familiar passage from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the most familiar teachings of Jesus continues to be around this idea of treasure. This understanding of what a treasure is. Sometimes it's literal and sometimes it's figurative. In this passage, it's more literal. Since God rewards those who are wholeheartedly seeking him in service to him, he wants them to invest in things that are eternal, not the temporary. A man's heart is where his treasure is, meaning his interests are determined by what he values most. In other words, what we treasure is determined by the value we put on it and the interest we give it. Therefore, our treasure is an attitude toward and value we give someone or something. Now, let me ask this. What does it mean to have a good attitude? You come to me every now and then and say they've got such a good attitude. But some of you come to me and say they have such a bad attitude. What's the difference? What's the standard? What marks one good? What marks one bad? What is your attitude? What is your mental state? What is your value? What is your interest when it comes to generosity? To your talents and your treasures and your time? And the question we have to ask ourselves, does my attitude line up with God's? Is what God is placing value the same thing I'm placing value on? Jesus is talking in Matthew, is it temporary or is it eternal? Are you hoarding up for yourselves or are you investing in eternity? And I want to mention this. A generosity-motivated attitude in life is a predetermined position and posture of our hearts. Situations and circumstances only reveal what's already in there. What I mean is this. Being generous, being generosity-motivated is determined before we ever express it. It's an attitude determined before we count our resources what we have, what we don't have, or face a situation or circumstance. It is a resolve, it's an attitude of resolve to please God and to model God in the area of generosity before any situation ever arises. And so we ask, what is my predetermined attitude towards God and the resources he's given me? My time, my talents, and my treasures. Is our attitude connected to the here and now or the then and there? Matthew says, is it on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal? Or in heaven where moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal? Holding on to something temporary or investing in eternal? In this passage, Jesus is talking about treasure being tangible. Now, this is a $20 bill. 
just a piece of paper with some ink on it. This money is not good or bad. It, it's been called amoral, meaning without moral. When this has moral to it, it's because of what we have placed on it. And it, then it either becomes good or bad. Or money, spiritually speaking, can either have righteous implications or unrighteous ones, depending on our attitude and value toward it. Money, as many of you know, whether on the giving or receiving, can be an incredible, incredible blessing. Incredible blessing. But we also know that money as scripture says, can be, the love of money can be the root of all evil. And there's no doubt, I can't think of uh, hardly any area of our lives that's not impacted by money. Very few areas in our lives today that aren't impacted by some type of money. Every time you turn around, you're dealing with it. Or you're dealing with the lack of it. Food, car, bills, doctors, entertainment, kids, on and on. And so how important is it for us to have the right attitude about money, about something we deal with constantly, day in and day out? And one of the best ways or stories that I've heard in revealing our attitude came several years ago. And it was this idea of my attitude and my possessions or lack of possessions or whatever about possessions and my attitude about it. And here's the, here's the analogy they gave me. Picture yourself in a room by yourself with just a table. And you put everything on that table. Put your money. Put your keys to your house, to your work to your cars. What else do I have in here? Oh, put your watch on there for the guy has all your time. And the big one. <laughs> and you're in this room all alone. All your stuff, all your stuff is on the table. All of it, all your stuff. Uh, your spouse, your kids, your work, uh, your dreams, your, all your stuff is on this table in this room. And you hear a knock at the door. You go over and it's Jesus. And everybody wants to let Jesus in, right? So you let Jesus in. And he comes and he looks at your stuff and he looks at you. And he looks at your stuff and he looks at you. And all of a sudden, in this scenario your attitude starts surfacing. How do you feel? What are your thoughts about your stuff and Jesus? What would your words be? What would your attitude, what's your state of mind? Are your values about your stuff starting to, to surface? Is there, a sign, is there a sense of like defending coming up? Is there a sense of like explanation? Is there this sense of, of thanksgiving? You feel threatened? Not threatened that Jesus is going to hurt you, but threatened in the sense that he's going to walk in and you realize and know that he controls and owns it all. And he has every right to adjust the stuff on your table. 
In fact, he has the right to make all the decisions about the stuff on your table. He may want to rearrange some things, take some things off the table, or maybe ask why some things aren't on the table. And he does this not for condemnation, not for judgment, but he does this to line us up with his attitude so that we can enjoy our relationship with him on his terms for our freedom. And here's the great thing about Jesus. We can talk to him about it. We can understand his heart in this process. And he'll reveal it gently. Because here's his bottom line, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For he'll either hate one and love the other, he'll devote one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. The message says it this way, and I love it. Adoration for one feeds contempt for the other. In other words, if I have this adoration and love for my stuff, there will be this contempt between me and Jesus. But if I love Jesus, if my adoration is for Jesus, then this stuff will not bring me any contempt. And here's an important side thing that God allows for us, you and I as followers. When our attitude and thinking about our things and our time and our talents and our treasures are in line with Jesus, the world takes note. Because generosity in that way doesn't make sense. And what it reveals is that we trust Jesus. We trust Jesus to come in and say and do whatever he wants with our stuff. Ours is to obey Remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said to them, Beware and be on your guard against all forms of greed. And listen to this. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Our lives do not consist of our possessions or what we have. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 12, For this reason I say to you, don't worry about your life as to what you will eat or what your body needs or what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. Is that today? But your Father knows what you need. So seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Listen to this. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Has anybody experienced that? Therefore, Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of this earth. So let me ask you. Do you know what traps that you fall into? What things that hinder you when you're seeking to develop this, this biblical understanding towards money and possessions and generosity? Are, are there things that you know of that trip you up? Is it connected to fear? Trust? Is there within you something that pauses that makes you not want to say God it's all yours do with it what you want 
to Jesus about it. That brings us to our last point, the application of being generous and motivated. Generous or grudging giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or in compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I need some participation at this point. I just need you to turn to the person beside you and show them a grudging face. Most of you, when I said that, looked like you were laughing. And now turn and show a face of cheerfulness. Now let me ask you this. There are things in my life, from an application standpoint of this message, there are things in my life that I have a grudging face when I have to pay for them. Taxes, gas, an expensive meal that wasn't good, car repair, house repair, kids. Just a little confession. When you give to the Lord time, talents, or treasures, when you write a check, when you support a missionary, when you give to a need, when somebody needs something and you serve, is it a grudging or joyful, generous face? God has given us resources for us to honor him and to enjoy him and to be with him and also to give back to him. How do you think the church as a whole is doing with being generosity motivated in their giving. I'm glad you asked because here's some statistics. When surveyed, 17% of Americans state that they regularly tithe. 17%. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of normal congregations giving. 80% of Americans give only 2% of their income. Christians or the church are giving 2.5% of income. For families making 75,000 or more a year, 1%, 1% of them gave at least 10% in tithing. The average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches is about $17 a week. 37% of regular church attenders and evangelicals don't give money to the church. So here's some good news. 77% of those who do tithe give 11 to 20% or more of their income, far more than the baseline of 10%. It's interesting stats on giving in churches. I'm not exactly sure if these stats fit here. Some probably do. But there are some interesting facts when it comes to giving and the application there are more parables in the gospel about money and wealth than any other single topic. And the reason why is what I said earlier. Jesus knows that we interact with money all day long in some form or fashion. And God gave us insight and direction to live life the way he wants us to live it. Here's what James 1.22 says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. 
do what it says. How many of you have ever met good intention people but never follow through? God's saying you may understand the first two points, but it really comes down to the third. James 4.17, Therefore to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him is sin. God calls us to give of ourselves, our time, our talents, and our treasures as an indicator of the new life that lives inside of us through Jesus. People have asked me, Matthew, how much money should I give to the church? You know what my answer is? A lot. No, I don't say that. I don't say that. Do you know what I say? I have no idea. I have no idea. That is between you and God. What did God tell you to give? That's an answer between you and God. And so this giving, this application of generosity boils down to listening to God and responding. It's as simple as that. Listening to God and responding. I know that there are fears when it comes to giving. Fears that if I give to God, I won't have enough to do what I want or what I need. There's fears that giving to the church is a waste. And I want to just say, JP and Kelsey, and uh, we do our very best to be as an open book as we possibly can for you to question anything we spend so that you can remove that doubt in your head as far as being a waste. But the bottom line about generosity and whether I give or not is basically a question of trust. Do you trust God? Will I give even though it costs me what is precious to me? Our giving cannot be a flippant, disconnected, obedience thing to God. It has to be connected to the heart of God and to the voice of God. What hinders you? What fears are there? Some people have said, well, you don't really need my money. I don't have a lot to give. You just use other people's money. And you're right. Let me just, let me just make this clear. I, nor Grace, need your money. God does not need your money. The whole idea of giving is about obedience. The whole idea is about becoming more like Jesus and understanding the character and living out the character of God. That's what giving is all about. And we set aside the first fruits. I like what one author said. You give God what is right, not what is left. Scripture over and over encourages us to give first. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of each week, you should set aside a portion of money which you have earned. God gives us this instruction to remove any fears later on in the week. And sets our priorities. So I want to close with a few things to consider. I want to ask you this week to take time to consider all that you have been given by God. Put it all on the table. Just sit with Jesus and let him reveal all he has given to you. All that he has given to you. In that process, be reminded of his best gift that was given to you, and that was Jesus. Take an inventory. Sit with it. And after you sit with it, reflect on your attitudes towards it 
your treasures, your time. Talk, talk with this through, through with somebody else. Interact with Jesus. Talk to him. Listen. Ask him, God, are you pleased with this? Are there areas I need to surrender? Are there areas I'm holding on to? Have I built some kind of fort? Show me, break me. I confess them. I want to be obedient. Is there anything you want me to change, God, when it comes to generous living and giving? Uh, JP mentioned earlier, Grace has been so faithful in their giving, and I just want to say thank you for being obedient to God in those areas. Uh, it, I, I think about it all the time, about this little boy's lunch in the hands of Jesus. That's what our, that's what our giving does. It multiplies and feeds so many people. And I just want to say thank you. I want to close by reciting a prayer together. When you came in this morning, you, hopefully you got a, a sheet. If not, the words will be on the screen. But here's what we're going to do to close the service. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray and read this uh, as, a, as a prayer of commitment back to God. After we say amen, uh, Seth and the team are going to play. Uh, you exit from your right. Come down, get the elements, go back to your seat, and then I'll close us as we uh, partake in communion. Let's recite this prayer together as our um, prayer of living generous lives. Dear God, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and all I am belong to you. I have been bought with a great price with the blood of Jesus. So to focus solely on myself, spend everything on myself, and to give without sacrifice is the selfish way of the world, a place you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call their Christ their Lord. Generosity is the way of those who love you with free hearts and serve you with renewed minds. It is the way of those whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. Therefore, I depend on and ask for the Spirit's help. With his strength, I am determined to increase in generosity. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Please help me to withstand the delusion of temporary riches and focus on eternal investments. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your children to share your character and behavior of which I am one. Through generosity, use me to show who you are and what you are like to all the world. Amen. <coughs> Please come and...